when one goes away, you bring with you your family and therein by the community you're leaving behind. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Following up on past coverage, Lauren Reed, a native man from Arizona, was charged last year for alleged social media comments he made during the George Floyd uprising. Lauren faced 10 years in prison. In a major victory for anti-repression organizing, he accepted a non-cooperating plea deal earlier this week, which allowed him to get out of jail and receive time served. He will have his charges expunged after two years without further arrests. Dan Baker of Tallahassee, Florida, was charged in January with making alleged internet threats against armed far-right protesters. He was convicted this week on those charges and is now facing an appeals and sentencing process. His conviction has led to an outpouring of concern both regarding free speech and state targeting of leftists. COVID outbreaks and terrible conditions in a Bahrain prison have sparked a wave of protests in and outside of the walls. In the island country northwest of Qatar, the government is holding 2,700 men in Zhao, the main prison which has a capacity of 1,200 inmates. Physical and psychological torture have been a long-standing practice at Zhao. Prisoners are crammed in cells and experience routine beating from guards. In early April, Bahraini authorities, like many prison authorities in the U.S., claimed COVID outbreaks in their prison had been isolated and contained, and those sick were stable and receiving medical treatment. In reality, COVID continued to tear through the prison. The protests that have erupted are so monumental, many are saying this could be a turning point for human rights in Bahrain. In street protests across the country, Bahrainis are decrying the dangers their incarcerated sons, husbands, and brothers face from a COVID outbreak at Zhao prison. Protesters, mostly women, are demanding the release of their loved ones. The family of Saeed Nizar Alwadai, an inmate in Building 21 at Zhao, told media he tested positive and since then they have heard nothing from him. Later they found out Saeed was being held in a cell with four other prisoners 24 hours a day. Bahrain's dictatorship, backed by successive U.S. administrations, has increased its repression against peaceful dissent over the last decade. Its leading human rights activists and political opposition leaders are in exile or imprisoned at Zhao. There is no independent media in the country and only pro-government political groups do not face repression. International human rights groups have been banned for years. Historic mass demonstrations for democracy and human rights in 2011 were violently suppressed, although the fire still burns. A sit-in at Zhao started April 5th after political prisoner Abbas Malala died after he was denied health care. According to inside accounts, the sit-in ended violently on April 17th when special forces threw stun grenades and beat detainees on their heads. 
Authorities also took 33 protesters to another building in the prison where, quote, they are being kept incommunicado in violation of national and international law, end quote. During the sit-ins, inmates formed human chains and blocked corridors, refusing to enter their wards. The UN Human Rights Office is calling for proper medical care in Zhao, an investigation into the excessive use of force used against the prisoners, and the release of politically dissenting detainees. And now we have our monthly compilation of prison disturbances as compiled by Perilous Chronicle, a group that tracks prison uprisings around the U.S. and Canada. Here are their notes about the past month. On March 31st, 92 people held at the Sonoma County Jail in Santa Rosa, California, launched a four-day hunger strike to demand in-person visitation with friends and family. According to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, in-person visitation is now available at most facilities. In the first few days of April, Alexis Morris and five other women prisoners at the Pine Grove Correctional Center in Saskatchewan, Canada, launched a hunger strike to draw attention to the lack of access to health care and hygiene, mistreatment from staff, and failures of the grievance system. The hunger strike lasted for at least a week and a half. Advocates from Beyond Prison Walls Canada and Inmates for Humane Conditions held a demonstration outside the walls in solidarity with the striking women. For the second time this year, prisoners at the City Justice Center in downtown St. Louis, Missouri, staged a protest demanding their rights. On the evening of Sunday, April 4th, prisoners smashed through the glass of street-facing windows and threw flaming debris to the street below. A crowd gathered around the facility while people, including local news reporters, filmed the men shouting their demands and chanting. The protest is very similar to another protest that occurred at the same facility just two months prior. As reported by Perilous Chronicles' Lena Mercer, detainees lit small fires and chanted their demands while pressed up against the shattered remnants of the glass facade. Videos from multiple social media platforms show the men with arms raised above their heads, chanting, We want court dates. According to the loved one of a formerly incarcerated man in the facility, some people have been held for nearly five years awaiting trial. On Saturday, April 10th, prisoners at the Idaho State Correctional Center, held in the housing unit known as H-Block Tier 1, took control of the unit. According to the Idaho Department of Corrections, the disturbance began following an assault. The prisoners reportedly set fire to a trash can and destroyed property in the unit. 300 prisoners were evacuated due to the fires, and five incarcerated people were transferred to the hospital for minor injuries. The unrest was quelled by late evening. On Saturday, April 17th, three prisoners escaped from the Estrella County Jail in Phoenix, Arizona. All three men were recaptured shortly after by law enforcement, and one appeared to have an injured ankle. During the week of April 19th, Prisoners in three wings at East New Jersey State Prison in Rahway, New Jersey, refused their food trays to protest conditions such as visitation restrictions due to COVID-19, lack of hot food, and lack of bottled water. 
The Intercept reported on the conditions of drinking water at the facility. State officials found Legionella bacteria in the water at this facility, which led to a prisoner contracting Legionnaire's disease and led him to being in a coma for over a month. While the New Jersey Department of Corrections has claimed they have notified prisoners and offered access to alternative water sources, prisoners claim this continues not to be the case and that the problems with access to clean water have been long-standing. At roughly 6 p.m. on Thursday, April 22nd, a disturbance occurred at the Tom Green County Detention Facility in San Angelo, Texas. According to the Tom Green County Sheriff's Office, a special operational response team was called to the facility. Three guards were transported to a nearby hospital for treatment of minor injuries, and three prisoners were charged with assault on a public servant. It is unclear what prompted the disturbance. Early in the morning on Wednesday, April 28th, six detainees at the Juvenile Detention Center outside of New Orleans, Louisiana, escaped. A staff member was injured during the escape from the Bridge City Correctional Facility, and the five youth have been recaptured. A disturbance happened at this facility roughly a year ago on April 20th, 2020, in which property was destroyed on four dormitory units and a SWAT team was called in. On Wednesday, April 28th, two men escaped from Lodo Justice Facility in Bakersfield, California. As of May 2nd, only one of the prisoners has been recaptured. On Thursday, April 29th, two detainees escaped from the Community Correction Center in Lincoln, Nebraska, and as of May 2nd, they have yet to be recaptured. KOLN reported that this is a troubling trend in Lincoln, where there have been nine detainees, quote, gone missing from Community Corrections, or CCCL, over the past nine months. This week, we have the first part of a conversation with people working with Parole Illinois, a group that's campaigning to bring a fair and inclusive parole system to Illinois. In 1978, Illinois abolished their discretionary parole system. Today, it remains one of just 16 states, plus the District of Columbia, without any means for incarcerated people to earn parole. Now, we'll hear firsthand about the impacts that this lack of parole has on people inside, and those who have a loved one inside. Brian Doliner, I'm the downstate organizer for Parole Illinois. I'm based here in Urbana-Champaign. Thanks for having us. Hi, my name is Lauren Metlock, and I come to this space as a justice-impacted individual. Both my husband and my brother are incarcerated, serving de facto life sentences, and I am currently the community organizer for Parole Illinois. Good morning. Um, I'm Kim. My daughter's father is serving a natural life sentence. And I am just getting started with Parole Illinois, just really trying to figure out where I fit. My name is Pablo Mendoza. I am a lead organizer with Parole Illinois. And I come to this space as somebody who's been directly impacted by uh, tough on crime narratives. And I'm looking to change or correct the narrative of tough on crime legislation and labels so that we can get actual justice. Hello, I'm Sherry Stone Mediatore. 
I'm a professor of philosophy at Ohio Wesleyan University. I got involved because I started reading some work by men at Stateville Prison who had life sentences. And I was so amazed that someone with a life sentence would be working so hard to transform their lives and had such thoughtful writing. So I started helping out the men and now I'm taking a year away from teaching to serve as managing director of Parole Illinois. So Brian, would you start us off by giving some background and uh, about Parole Illinois and the history of your current campaign? Yes, Parole Illinois is a, a inside-outside prison solidarity project. It was started a couple of years ago inside Stateville Prison. A group of men there were part of a debate team. They chose the topic of debate and they chose the topic of parole. They wanted to debate different systems of parole, of what should be reinstituted in Illinois. Parole was abolished in 1978, and uh, they wanted to restore and, and renew the, the parole process in Illinois as a mechanism for release, just so that folks who had done long-term sentences, you know, sentences of 30, 40, 50 plus years, people who had life, to give them a shot, a mm -hmm. hearing, a chance at getting out of prison. Currently, we do not have a parole system in Illinois. So Parole Illinois, as an idea, was started through the debate team. Many of that uh, members of that debate team became the lead organizers for Parole Illinois. Our board for our nonprofit is um, majority members on the inside, inside Stateville. And uh, we have two women inside Logan Prison who are on our board of directors. We have outside members on our board. And uh, the program uh, and campaign was was launched. So now we have uh, a bill that we are supporting, which is SB 2333. We're supporting for the coming session. It's sponsored by Senator Selena Villanueva and by Representative Carol Ammons. Now that things are gearing back up in Springfield, we're looking to take that bill forward. It's a bill for earned discretionary reentry and says that anybody who's done a minimum of 20 years uh, should get a hearing in front of the PRB, the Prisoner Review Board. And if they can prove their case, that they turn their lives around, they've taken college classes, they have no tickets, they should get a chance at release. We have a website for Parole Illinois. There's a contact form, people can fill that out and we'll send them regular mailers. We also have people on the inside, we circulate a GTL messages on the inside. We have some 700 people on the inside who we communicate with. We also send out a paper newsletter on the inside. And so we're really unique. I think we're one of the only projects that has board members on the inside and that uh, has real deep and wide roots on the inside here in Illinois. Again, my name is Lauren Metlock. Both my brother and my husband are incarcerated on separate cases, separate charges, but they are similar in that they both were juvenile offenders, first-time offenders, didn't have a record. And I came to this work because when I was 13 years old, my brother went in for questioning and he's never returned home. At this point, we are 20 years later and my brother is still incarcerated. Everything to the side with a wrongful conviction, any of those things, it always has been in my heart to help and not just him once I got older and learned about some of the ills in the legal system and really wanted to contribute. Parole Illinois gave me a pathway to do that. So I'm very much thankful for them and the work that they're doing and 
I'm passionate about this bill, SB 2333, not just because of my brother and my husband, but they are not an anomaly. There are so many men and women that need this opportunity to show and prove their own humanity, to show their growth, to show where they are in life. In 20 years, at two of Illinois' worst prisons, they haven't had any violent tendencies. They don't haven't received any tickets. Their behavior has been exemplary. Their disciplinary record is exemplary. My brother, Jeremiah Betts, he has already completed his associate's degree. My husband, Manuel Metlock, is in the last year of the master's program at North Park University. He's studying restorative justice. These men and women will have a chance to show and prove, hey, I am not the sum of my conviction. I have a family. I have continued to grow and learn. A lot of these things and programs and certificates, they're doing not because they get good time, because they're serving de facto life sentences at 100%. They do it because they want to prove to themselves and to the world they have value. It's more than a number. They're more than that. These are human beings. They're not the same people they were when they were juveniles. At 40 years old, they just want to show and prove that they can be useful in the world, that they are not what society have deemed them to be. I'm so excited that so many people are becoming aware of this, especially in this day and age of the police brutality is, has a spotlight. A lot of incarcerated peoples have had history of brutality and even during their incarceration have been subjected to police brutality. I'm so glad that now the world is really looking into these systematic issues and really working to combat them and doing something right. And so I think this bill will actually address one small fragment of that, but will make such a difference for thousands of people and their families and their communities that they can return home to and actually do the work to fix and to change and to push the community forward. People don't stop living when they are incarcerated. They don't stop being human. They don't stop having forward motion in their lives. I think we have this idea that prison is radically disconnected from normal life, but you know, it's continuous in so many ways, including in relationships, but also just in, in people's own ability to grow. Of course, that's one of the main reasons that SB 2333 is such a powerfully important uh, proposition because folks do grow. They don't stop right at the moment that they're incarcerated. Like I said, I am fairly new to Parole Illinois. My relationship started when they created a support group for loved ones. That part of my life has never been touched. I live in downstate Illinois and things are very different here. Uh, my loved one has been incarcerated for 23 years at Menard Correctional Facility. And um, there has not really been any programming from what I understand, they've introduced some, but none that, that he could benefit from. It's been hard as we've gotten to the, I think it was the two years ago, the 23rd year. He found out that two of his appeals had just not been ruled on from a higher court, gotten renewed hope that he may get out based on the results of these appeals. I see Parole Illinois as another source of hope 
in case that doesn't work. I'm a mental health counselor professionally. And like Lauren says, the humanity of long-term incarceration, we need some work with mental health in the prisons and programming for those that are incarcerated long-term. He's remained hopeful the whole 23 years. However, I, I, I think we're getting to the point now where it's, it's taken its toll because there's no program. He hasn't been able to work in Menard. He cannot go to school because, you know, he, he had, a, I believe, an associate's degree to begin with. So he would be looking at either a bachelor's degree or, or a graduate degree of some type. I would like to see trade programs. I would like to see associate level programs. You know, he, he could probably, he could probably get a law degree because he's done nothing for 23 years, but work on his case. You know, just any sort of programming would be, <laughs> would be a benefit, would be much better than what it is now. I'd also like to see them have a little more consideration for families. It's their families that allow them to, to maintain their humanity because they are treated so poorly. So I come to Parole, Illinois with a background in having served 20 years in the Department of Correction and being recently released. Um, you've heard a whole host of social ills that contribute to what people being incarcerated, uh, um, the difficulties of uh, rehabilitation while incarcerated and having lived with these individuals who are still on the inside hoping to come home maybe one day. Parole Illinois provided me the platform to uh, uh, reach back in and advocate on their behalf. I did time in uh, Menard Correctional Center. I did time in Stable Correctional Center. These uh, spaces where most are held with de facto life census and there is no programming. There really is uh, no reason even just to keep living. So in spite of all this, individuals on the inside still cultivate what they want to see on the outside within the, in, in individuals who have maybe a long sentence, but they're willing and caring enough to invest in these individuals to change the communities from the inside and, and, and mentor individuals, provide uh, positive ways of serving your time for those willing to take it up. And, and even for some who, who, who are uh, reticent to, to change their lives because of such a long incarceration, they still uh, go out of their way to help individuals. And I'm here to open the doors for these guys because we need them on the outside. Mm -hmm. So uh, I come to Parole Illinois and advocate on their behalf, but I do so in, in, in many other spaces as well, because what I push back against is that tough on crime political narrative where we are to incarcerate those who we label as violent offenders. I was labeled as a violent offender. And according to this narrative, uh, we should lock me up and throw away the key because um, I am not an individual worthy of living with amongst uh, society. And that is not the case for myself or for anybody who has been incarcerated. Individuals are not the act that they commit. They are an individual. This bill takes in consideration the totality of all the, in, of the individual and, and that it allows them a mechanism where they can present themselves as an individual and not as the uh, individual who committed this one act. Our past system relied heavily on, uh, on what the act was. We're looking to look at the individual in and of itself, right? What he's done since the act, 
uh, uh, how he's developed and see him for or her for who they are and provide him the opportunity for release and not have them uh, uh, incarcerated unnecessarily uh, uh, wasting taxpayers' money and their potential to assist in, in their communities and become uh, upstanding citizens. Um, Paolo, one, one of the things that you're saying just hits home to me how important it is to advocate for release, for compassionate release, uh, parole, or uh, any other form of clemency for people who are not only what they call the non-non-nons, right? They're, there's been some mainstream support for release, but only in the case of people who have been convicted of non-serious, non-violent, and non-sexual crimes, right? And we have to go beyond the non-non-nons, or we have to recognize the ways in which people who have convictions of all sorts are deserving of release, given the structure of the prison system, not necessarily their own individual redemption, but the ways in which the prison system structures vast over-incarceration and convicts people of kinds of crimes that might feel scary and impossible to live around, uh, but which in fact don't indicate that a person is you know, going to be a monster in some way on the streets. I think we have these terrifying ideas about who gets incarcerated and they're just, they're, they're mythic. They're involved in justifying the system. Yeah, these ideas are based around a tough on crime political narrative or some outlandish Hollywood script. Yeah. And that's and this is what, what people know. So the, so the, the, the purpose of Parole Illinois is, is an educational campaign as well to inform uh, individuals that one, there is no uh, mechanism for review in, in the state of Illinois. And two, that we uh, actually adhere to the laws and the constitution of the state of Illinois, which states that incarceration is for the purpose of reintroducing individuals into the society. And that's what we're looking to do. We currently do not have a vehicle that does this. Um, we're looking to actually bring one forth so that we can correct a lot of these past policies that are affecting not just those on the inside, but those on the outside. As, you, as you've seen, you've heard from two individuals who are directly impacted, not because they're serving time, but because their loved one serves time. When one goes away, you bring with you your family and therein by the community you're leaving behind. It, it's a ripple effect that transcends throughout the community. And we just keep exacerbating uh, the issue and the issues and making it so that correcting the ills that are causing all this are just becoming more difficult because you're taking one, you're taking uh, uh, people out of their environment Two, there's no investment in corrective matters in the community or in the, the carceral setting. So it, it, it's, it's a problem that we just keep dumping money into, hoping that if we incarcerate more and more people, we will correct this. And history has told us this does not work. We'll share more of this conversation next week. You can check out perilouschronicle.com for more information on prison uprisings since 2010. And you can go to paroleillinois.org to find out more about Illinois Bill 2333, which remains under legislative consideration and is currently in state Senate committee. This has been KiteLine. 
Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. Please keep sharing the number for our coronavirus hotline. We'll continue to air messages from prisoners who call in from the inside and family members calling in for support for their loved ones. You can call in on behalf of a loved one or they can call in to record their message about the impact of the coronavirus on their facility at 765-343-6236. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.